The only major leader of the world who ever rose from the dead is Jesus. So we need to ask the question, who is Jesus? And listen to his answer to the religious leaders who say, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Who do other religions say Jesus is? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Jesus' claim to deity in the Gospel of John is undeniable. But what did the religious leaders of his day think about this? And what do other religions think about Jesus? Turn to John chapter 10, verse 22 for part one of David's message called, To Know Jesus. I want to take you to God's Word, John the 10th chapter, verses 22 through 42. Really some of the most interesting verses in all of the Gospel of John, for they answer the question, who is Jesus? And one of the things we're going to look at during this text is, don't you think we should ask Jesus who he thinks he is? Because that really is the key question. And no other religious leader in the history of the world ever claimed to be God. Yet Jesus clearly claimed to be God throughout the entire Gospel of John. In fact, John the Evangelist who wrote the Gospel of John is trying to get everybody to come to grips with that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So we'll look at these verses today, which give us another clear indication into John's answer, Jesus' answer. Before we begin, let me pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for the privilege of preaching. Um, I've never once in all of my four decades plus felt like this was a burden. It's not that I've got to preach. I've always felt like I get to preach. It, it, again, it's such an honor. And Lord, I pray I'll be faithful to these verses that you have laid on my heart as we continue this journey through John. I pray, Jesus, you would be exalted. I pray, Lord, there's someone online right now struggling with who you are, Jesus. And at the end of this message, we'll realize you are the Son of God and give their lives to you. And Lord, I pray finally that you would allow this to also give peace to people's hearts and to know that if you are God and you live in our hearts, you are in control of everything. This new variant of COVID, you're in control of our finances, you're in control of everything, and we trust you with this time. Lord, thank you for, the, again, this opportunity for being able to preach your word, use it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So let's look at John, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 22. And as you may remember, last week, Jesus ended a confrontation with the religious leaders uh, regarding his very person. And they could not believe that he was God in human flesh as he claimed. They said, you've got to be either insane or to have a demon. And that's the way last week week's message ended as someone asked the question, can someone with a demon or someone be insane teach the way he teaches and do the works that he does? So between verse 21 and 22, there's about a three-month interval. And we pick up a next stage in Jesus' life with verse 22. Uh, at the time of the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now let's pause there. The Feast of Dedication. What is that? Today we know it as Hanukkah. And it is not one of the seven feasts and festivals listed in the Old Testament that every faithful Jew was to follow. This is an addition to that that happened historically between the years 167 and 164 BC. At that time period, there was a Syrian 
ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he had taken his army into Jerusalem and they had overrun the city and taken control of everything. He was a godless pagan king and therefore he hated the temple of the one true God. And he for three years desecrated the temple in so many different ways. Uh, for example, uh, he formed a throne and he put an image of the God of Zeus upon that throne in the temple. Uh, moreover, he did not allow any circumcision of any male child, which was commanded by the scripture from God that every eighth day, every male born child needed to be circumcised. He wouldn't allow that to happen. Many moms and dads in obedience to the law went ahead and had their children circumcised. And during those three years, approximately 80,000 women and babies were killed by Antiochus Epiphanes, and he actually crucified them, put them on crosses, hung the babies around the mama's necks to show that he indeed was the one in control. He also put another 80,000 Jews into slavery, sold it, selling them into slavery and taking the profits for himself. He also took pig's blood and put it on the altar of the Lord where the blood of a pure unblemished lamb was offered every year for the forgiveness of people's sins. Antiochus Epiphanes in his arrogance and pride put pig's blood on that altar. Um, most of you know that in the Jewish faith, uh, pigs were considered unclean animals. And this was another way he was rubbing it in the face of the Jews that he was in control of everything. He put animal feces on the walls of the temple and just performed all kinds of godless things, even turning the temple courtyard into a brothel where godless things happened and people were put to shame of the Jewish faith by this godless man named Antiochus Epiphanes. So after three years, to use the language of Popeye the sailor, for those of you who remember that cartoon character of many years ago, uh, there was a man named Judas Maccabeus and he stepped forward and said, that's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. And he had brothers who were with him in his family, the Maccabees, and they led a rebellion against Antiochus Epiphanes. And they were able to overthrow him completely, destroy his oversight of the temple especially, and he was thrown out of the nation and no longer a threat to the Jews. In celebration of his activities no longer being in the temple, the people restored the worship of the Lord and they had a menorah, a lampstand to light and allow themselves to remember that God is the light of the world. And they only had just a little bit of oil that would allow that lampstand in the temple to be lit and stay lit. But interestingly, for eight days, for eight long days, that oil just seemed not to dissipate, not to dry up. And it kept being there and be enough to keep that lampstand lit for eight days. And the people of God were able to worship once again, the one true God in that temple area. And that lampstand represented God's presence with them. Just a little bit of oil expanded over eight days to light that lampstand so that because of that great victory over the godless Antiochus Epiphanes, the Jews added another feast annually. Uh, it's called the Feast of Dedication, or today, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. And the Jews celebrate eight days in Hanukkah. This 
uh, during the winter time period, remembering not only God's deliverance from that evil dictator, but also how God miraculously supplied the oil that was necessary to keep those, light lit, those lights lit. So that's the feast that Jesus was at now, at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And most of you know that Hanukkah happens around December the 25th, around our Christmas time period, and that's when the overthrow of Antiochus Epiphanes happened, which, by the way, real quickly, parenthetically, I'm asked this all the time, why in the world do Christians celebrate Christmas December the 25th, when the shepherds were out watching their sheep by night, probably that occurred sometime more in September, uh, maybe early fall, because that's when shepherds would be out with their sheep at night. How did we get to December the 25th? Well, the answer real quickly is in 312 AD, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, made Christianity the official state religion, welcoming that faith among the many other godless pagan religions as well. And he decided that that day to celebrate Christmas should be on Chislev the 25th. And Chislev is the Jewish calendar's day of December the 25th. So he did that because there were other pagan holidays that were going on during that time, worshiping Saturn and the moon and the stars and, and other things. And many people today criticize Christianity and say, how come you have your great holiday of the incarnation of Jesus being celebrated on a pagan holiday. Why was that the case? And the answer is very simple. Constantine wanted Christianity to be the major religion, and he wanted to superimpose it upon all the other religions, so he placed it on the very day when all the other religions were worshiping their gods. To say that our God, Jesus, is greater than your gods, he was simply trying to make that statement by choosing the 25th of December. It has nothing to do with pagan worship. It is all about Constantine trying to say, Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And in many places during that time period, they would actually buy pagan temples, Christians would and turn the pagan temples into Christian churches to make a statement that Jesus redeems that which is godless and secularized. That's one of the reasons that he came. So that's the reason we celebrate Christmas, December the 25th. Uh, it doesn't matter when we celebrate it. We just remember that God did come into this world. And Hanukkah happened during wintertime, the Feast of Dedication. And that's what's going on when Jesus is now in Jerusalem. Verse 23, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Uh, so this wintertime, he's walking in the temple, and this is an indoor, enclosed area. And notice he's just walking. He's not teaching at all. He'd come back to the temple during this feast of dedication to celebrate Hanukkah, and he's walking around in an indoor place uh, in the temple. And in verse 24, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him. Now, whenever you read the Jews in John, remember, it's the capital J-E-W-S, not all the Jews. It's the religious leaders. This is in reference to the religious leaders. Now, remember that Jesus over the last chapters had had many different encounters with them, oftentimes very heated, sometimes very hostile. 
on a couple of occasions, they'd either picked up stones to kill Jesus or wanted him arrested. So here it is, the religious leaders seeing Jesus walking around indoors in the colonnade part of the temple. They come and they surround him. Now, notice it is probably an encircling of him and probably with much antagonism as well. They are forcing another confrontation with him. And they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, now remember folks, the Christ is not Jesus' second name. It's not his last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the one the Jews had long awaited for, outlined in the Old Testament that he would come one day. And so they come to him and ask him the question, tell us plainly, don't keep us in suspense any longer. Are you the Christ? If so, tell us plainly. Now, what they really are asking here is, in 164 BC, Judas Maccabeus stepped to the plate and he freed us from Antiochus Epiphanes and his godless rule. And now we're under the godless rule of the Romans. Now, Judas Maccabeus made it very clear that he was not the Messiah. He said so. He was just a deliverer. And now they're asking Jesus, are you in the same kind of lineage of Judas Maccabeus? Are you merely a deliverer of us from Rome or are you actually the Christ, the one whom God has sent into this world? Now, it's a great question, folks, because every single one of us needs to answer the question as well. Who is Jesus? We're all saying to Jesus, tell us plainly who are you? And, and again, it's very important for all of us to listen to what Jesus said about himself. Everything else is a mere opinion. But let me give you some of those opinions that people of great insight or religions of great authority have concluded about Jesus. Islam says that Jesus was a mere prophet, a great prophet, but less than Muhammad. In Buddhism, Jesus is considered greatly enlightened, but he is less than the Buddha. Uh, in Christian science, it's very clear that this faith perspective says Jesus is not God. In Hinduism, Jesus is considered a wise man. In some circles, one of the 330 million gods that are out there as well, but not the one unique God creator of all of the universe. Um, in Nietzsche's perspective, this godless atheist who has influenced many people's thoughts through the years, he said he's just a man gone wrong who died too young, but if he had lived long enough, he would have become an atheist as well. Rollo May, the very famous psychiatrist, said this about Jesus. He was actually a great therapist. Fidel Castro, the former premier of Godless, socialist, communist Cuba, and let's continue to pray for Cuba regularly as those brave souls are trying to fight for their freedom and be set free from dictatorial uh, elitism. Uh, Fidel Castro said that he was a good communist, this Jesus. Adolf Hitler, interestingly, said this man of boundless love was so helpful to the world to help fight the Jewish poison. Can you believe that? Here is the word from Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi said, Jesus was not God, but a great spiritual man like the Buddha or the Krishna. 
the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being by God. The Mormons believe that Jesus was a part of a polytheistic idea and the half-brother of Lucifer himself. Scientology believes that Jesus was a very important imprint on humanity, whatever that means. And interestingly, some progressive Protestants, more on uh, an anti-biblical, more liberal side of interpreting the scripture, have concluded that Jesus was a social reformer, not God himself. Uh, Liberation theology is what describes that kind of perspective, and it's not what the scripture teaches. So what did Jesus say about himself? That's what's most important. And the only major religious figure in the history of the world who has ever claimed to be God is Jesus. None of the others did. The only major leader of the world who ever rose from the dead is Jesus. So we need to ask the question, who is Jesus? And listen to his answer to the religious leaders who say, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. He says here, how many times over the past encounters with you have I told you who I am? Jesus here is saying is I've told you repeatedly who I am. And I've used even the Exodus 3.14 statement when Moses asked God, what's your name that I should give when I go meet Pharaoh? And God said, I am who I am is my name. And that I am statement was such an unutterable, holy word name for God. The Jews wouldn't even utter it. And Jesus makes here several different claims up till now where he says, I am God. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an important discussion about the relationship between prayer and healthy marriages. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, You've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, We're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to to just watch the the work that's happened. with the meals as they've gone out, you know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route, and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now 
This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us. Yes, Jen, it's a pleasure being with you again. In this morning's e-devotion, you wrote about the important relationship between prayer and healthy marriages. This is a critical topic for all marriages, I would say. It is, and the maxim that I quoted in my Davidism today, again, that will arrive in your inbox, any of you who would like to have them every morning at 7 a.m., just go to momentsofhopechurch.org and use can subscribe there free of charge. But the one today is couples that pray together, stay together. Now, I didn't think that up. And I think it's as old as the ages themselves. Many people remember that having been said to them, but it's so true. Mm. And here's what we need to realize. Recent studies by liberal institutions have found that couples that pray together, study God's word together, worship together, and serve together, the divorce rate is one out of over 1,000. Wow. That's extraordinary. Wow. Because in America, supposedly, even among Christians, the divorce rate is one out of two. Now, that statistic that has been given by major liberal institutions, I think, fights off the suggestion that Christian couples have the same divorce rates as the normal culture because Christian couples, those who really believe in Jesus, (laughs) pray together, study God's word together, worship together, serve together. Those who really love the Lord are practicing a spiritual union and life together that does not allow them ever to separate. Mm. Uh, I think we need to restate this maxim that I have given before, that just because you live in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. (laughs) Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. That a Christian is someone whose life is filled with the love of Jesus. And when a man and a woman in marriage share that spiritual life together, they are literally glued Mm -hmm. together. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew 19, verse 6, when he said, what God has joined together, let no one ever separate or no one can ever tear asunder. He was simply saying that when two people, a man and a woman, are enjoined spiritually, That's what this study from the liberal institutions suggest, that their lives can never be torn apart. There's no flesh and blood person who can ever cause divorce to occur between a man and a woman who are bound together in the spirit. It is an eternal glue that holds them together. It is a covenant that just can't ever be broken. So that old maxim, couples that pray together, stay together, is truth in every possible way. And we just know in Matthew 19, 18, that when two people pray, there is the presence of Jesus. Mm. And where there's the presence of Jesus, there is no harm that can ever come to anyone who is seeking after him. This is so beautiful and empowering, honestly. And one word that comes to mind as you're talking is 
Prayer produces and shows your state of humility before God, the creator. And when you're doing that together, I think trust is formed because you're both relying on God Almighty for what you're both coming together uh, with your requests to him. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better, Jen. Thank you for that. And one other thought before we leave is I am asked whenever I teach on this, there are often women who say to me, well, my husband prayed with me and then he ended up being a jerk and we got a divorce. What does that mean? And here's the question I would ask, who initiated the prayer? And if the husband really wants to pray with his wife and initiates that prayer and has a solemn time of prayer with her, it shows his heart for Jesus. There are a lot of men out there that are pretending for a lot of different reasons, but when they're authentic, godly men seeking after their wives and seeking after the Lord, praying together, there's no person who can ever tear them apart. So good. So good. Thank you so much, David. And everyone, if you'd like to receive a daily Davidism from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and there you can subscribe and receive them daily. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.